This is Bigger Pockets Daily, kicking off your Monday with a daily dose of real estate information and education. The article I'm about to share is one of more than 10,000 blog articles available on Bigger Pockets, but you can't read the blog when you're walking the dog or browsing the MLS. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Seven Lessons I Wish I'd Known When I Started Investing in Real Estate by G. Brian Davis In the beginning, I was afraid. Later, I was greedy and reckless. Neither worked out for me very well. I spent my first few years in the real estate industry helping other investors get financing to renovate old homes. I was in my early 20s and wanted to get involved, but wasn't quite ready emotionally. Then I bought my first buy-and-hold deal, and it worked out pretty well. After that, I became a vacuum cleaner, sucking up every deal I could find. I lost a boatload of money. Some of these bad deals still cost me to this day. Ugh. I wish I had a time machine so I could go back and slap some sense into my younger self. So here are the seven lessons I'd use my time machine to teach myself. Learn from my mistakes so you don't have to suffer the results like I did. And here are the seven lessons I wish I'd known when I first started investing in real estate. Lesson number one, learn how to forecast cash flow accurately. <laughs> the first lesson of cash flow is that it's a long-term average not what happens in a typical month. Cash flow works like this. For nine months, you'll be sitting pretty, banking the hopefully wide margin between your rent and your mortgage. Then you'll be slapped with a $3,000 furnace repair. Or your tenants will decide to stop paying, or they'll sue you because the neighbor's dog looked at them funny, or I don't know, whatever. Novice landlords say to themselves, 
What bad luck. Oh, well, this was a freak one-time expense. <laughs> Next year will be better. Which, of course, bullcrap. By contrast, experienced landlords say to themselves, good thing I budgeted for these expenses in my cash flow calculations. You need to include repairs, maintenance, capex, vacancy rate, property management fees, accounting costs, administrative costs, property taxes, insurance, HOA fees, if applicable, and maybe even your shrinks bill. <laughs> Sound like it's difficult to find deals that will still cash flow properly after all those expenses? It is. Finding good deals is work. They're not just strewn all over the MLS. But if you learn to forecast these expenses accurately and you only invest in properties that still cash flow well, you are virtually guaranteed to make money. If you get cash flow forecasting wrong, prepare to lose money. The good news is that it's not hard to get right once you know what questions to ask. Number two, house hacking is an ideal way to get started. What's better than living for free? Mm, not much. If you aren't deeply familiar with house hacking, you can read a case study about an ordinary guy with no real estate experience who house hacked and now lives for free. That is at biggerpockets.com. It's rich in detail and will show you exactly how you can do the same thing. When your neighboring renters pay your mortgage and other housing expenses for you, you can throw your savings into hyperdrive. For most people, their highest expense is housing. Remove that and suddenly they can devote all the money they would have spent on rent or a mortgage towards savings and investment. Lower expenses, higher savings rate. This is the formula for reaching financial independence very, very quickly. The really ambitious set a goal of living on half their income and investing the rest. <laughs> all right, lesson number three. The perfect deal is a myth. Look for a good deal. New investors sometimes wind themselves up looking for the perfect deal. It doesn't exist. In personal development circles, there's an adage that perfect is the enemy of progress. It's true. If you refuse to act until conditions are perfect, you'll never act. No, today's housing markets are not as advantageous to buyers as housing markets six years ago. Get over it. That market is gone. And this is the market available to you now. This is not to say you should buy indiscriminately. Quite the opposite, actually. Set targets for ROI and for cash flow and commit yourself that you will not buy any properties that don't meet those standards. Choose a few neighborhoods to target with care and then focus on finding good deals within those neighborhoods. Don't be afraid to negotiate hard to drop a property's price to meet your standards. Most importantly, Keep at it. There are good deals out there. Finding them is just a matter of tenacity. Lesson number four. After purchasing, property's ROI comes from strong management. You can score a great deal on a property and then still lose a boatload of money on it. How? Bad property management. When you buy a property, You've forecasted its cash flow, but those forecasts are purely theoretical. They only exist on paper. In the real world, you'll earn either higher or lower returns than those forecasts based on just how well the property is managed. 
How well do you screen out bad tenants? How well do you retain good tenants? Does your preventative maintenance extend the lifespans of your mechanical systems? Hmm? And how well do you add value to remain competitive with other nearby properties? Your returns on rental properties will be based on two things. One, whether you bought a good deal initially and whether you manage the property effectively. Success depends on doing both right. The best acquisition in the world will lose money if you lease to a deadbeat who doesn't pay the rent and then fights you in rent court. Invest time and effort in tenant screening and tenant retention when you're first starting out. These are the backbone of good property management. Lesson number five, focus on the fundamentals and forget the rest. I can't tell you how often I see questions from new investors asking about S-Corps versus LLCs or about 1031 exchanges or some other distraction far over their head. When you're a multimillionaire, you can worry about protecting your assets with legal entities or trusts or Harry Potter's invisibility cloak. Really wish I had that thing. But when you're starting out, focus on accruing assets that are actually worth protecting. And don't get me started on all the armchair economists who go on about trying to time the market. If housing experts and real economists with actual PhDs behind their names can't accurately predict market timing, you can't. Forget all that nonsense. In the beginning, there are only two things new investors should focus on. Finding good deals and managing them effectively. If that sounds oversimplified, it's because both of those tasks involve plenty of sub-skills to master. Learn how to accurately forecast cash flow. Identify good target neighborhoods for rental investments. Find a good real estate agent who specializes in working with investors in those neighborhoods or even a team of agents. Pursue off-market deals, network with wholesalers, turnkey providers, local banks, REO managers. Screen the living heck out of your rental applicants. Manage your properties proactively. Develop trust and respect with your renters. In other words, focus on the fundamentals, finding good deals and managing them well. Number six, leave the slums to the slumlords. So I've known people to make money in super low-end real estate, but it's a complex and challenging niche and it's not for new investors or even most experienced investors for that matter. The numbers sure are tempting though. They look great on paper. A $30,000 house that rents for $1,200? What could go wrong? A lot. A lot of my rentals are in bad neighborhoods. I've regretted those investments for over a decade. I could tell you horror stories about professional tenants, recurring break-ins, junkies using my vacant properties as crack houses, and local lowlifes breaking apart my air conditioning condensers to steal the copper. Yes, even after I installed giant steel cages over them. Or I could try to demonstrate how landlords in these neighborhoods are always in the wrong, in the eyes of the ever-indignant public. Out of one corner of activists' mouths, they decry that there's not enough affordable housing. Then, out of the other, they yell, Slumlord! And scream for ever stricter regulations against the landlords who actually provide that affordable housing. Very low-end housing is a losing proposition economically and politically. So here's a simple rule for new investors. 
Don't invest in neighborhoods where you wouldn't want to live if you earned 40 grand a year. And lesson number seven you do need a cash reserve, but it doesn't need to be a fortune. Landlords need to keep a cash reserve. For that matter, all responsible adults need a cash reserve. What happens when that $3,000 furnace bill comes along? What happens when your tenant loses their job and stops paying rent? Or for that matter, when you lose your job? Many personal finance experts recommend keeping an emergency fund of six months worth of expenses in cash. But for the average American,、eh, that's somewhere around 20 grand. That amount is ridiculous to keep in cash. It's wasteful. Cash loses 1 to 4 or 9% a year in inflation. You should strive for a few thousand dollars in a cash reserve for emergencies. And landlords should keep an account where all those CapEx, repairs, vacancy rate, and other expenses we talked about earlier can pile up for when they're needed. But keeping more than a few thousand bucks in cash is just poor financial management. Instead, keep a few credit cards with zero balance and keep a few conservative, stable investments that you can liquidate quickly if you need to. Money market accounts are a boring and low yield example, but there are also mutual funds that are conservative enough to fit the bill. In other words, don't feel like you can't invest in rental properties just because you don't have a huge emergency fund. Fear and greed. Finance types love to drone on about how all investing decisions are based either on fear or greed. And in my early career, I was a good example of that theory. I waited for years before investing, and then when I did invest, it was too hastily and hungrily. Investing doesn't have to be driven by fear or greed. Ideally, it's driven by method, by lucid analysis, and planning. But never, ever invest. Based on emotion. Before even thinking about buying a rental property, learn how to calculate and forecast cash flow properly. Search methodically for neighborhoods that fit your investing criteria. Avoid neighborhoods that are too low end and dodgy. Consider house hacking. Focus your energy on learning how to evaluate properties accurately and learning the fundamentals of good property management. None of it is hard. The former is about basic strategy and execution, and the latter is about best practices. It doesn't take a million dollar inheritance, a 145 IQ, or a PhD to succeed at real estate investing. It actually takes something that's both easier to come by and rarer discipline. Save yourself the losses, headaches, and occasional misery I've been through and learn these lessons the easy way. Congratulations! You just got smarter and one step closer to reaching your real estate investing goals. You know what else will make you smarter? Setting up keyword alerts in your Bigger Pockets profile. Go to Account Settings, Alerts, and set up alerts for the market or strategy you're interested in. For example, Turnkey or Kansas City. You're guaranteed to connect with like minded investors who share similar goals. Want to hear more Bigger Pockets daily? Check out some older episodes you missed. Otherwise, We'll see you tomorrow.